Do you remember, do you remember the thought and the feelings of, of yourself before you ever came to Christ? Do you remember those thoughts and feelings of what it was like to be lost? To be lost. Do you remember anything specific? Do you remember maybe how your stomach felt? Do you remember do you remember being agitated in your mind? There's nothing quite like it. There's nothing quite like that feeling. The worst thought in the world is to die in your sins. Jesus says in John 8, 24, except you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. There's nothing quite like that, that, that dreadful thought. <coughs> King David of old expressed it like this in Psalm 32, 3 and 4. He said he was groaning all day long. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. And his strength dried up like it was summer heat. That's what his sin. He said, before I would acknowledge my sin, that's how I felt. The hand of God was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. I just groaned all day long. Well, do you remember how you felt when you come out of the, those waters of baptism? Can you recall that? you remember that feeling? Do you remember those thoughts? Was it a great relief? Was it a burden lifted off your shoulders? We sometimes sing, He gave me a song. He took my burdens all away up to a brighter day. Do you remember that? Do you remember that thought, that feeling? It reminds us of the recording of the, of the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion and after he come out of the water, he went, his, he went on his way rejoicing, it says, Acts 8 and, and 39. He went on his way rejoicing. Remember that? I've heard over the years the older preachers talk about how a man came up out of the waters of baptism. He grabbed hold of the preacher's shoulders and he said, don't ever let me go. Don't ever let me go. And then he said, oh, if the Lord would come right now, wouldn't it be great? There's nothing quite like that feeling of having your sins washed away. Well, not long after that, or maybe before that thought and that feeling, you understand that to, to be a Christian is to be all in. It is to be faithful. It is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And if you don't do that, you could... You could lose your way. You could depart from the faith. You, you could, as Peter mentions in 2 Peter 2 and verse 20, you, you can, after having escaped the corruptions that's in the world, you can be entangled again therein, and your last state will be worse than your first. And, and that, that's a reality, and, and those thoughts can begin to make you wonder. Sometimes those thoughts of falling away can, can cause someone to begin to have anxiety and, and doubt. 
about their salvation. And if that continues to grow later on, you, you begin to use words like, well, I think I'm saved. I'm, I hope I'm saved. I, I may be saved. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Those kinds of uh, doubtful words later on. If this, if this kind of thought continues, if this kind of thought continues, you, you begin to go back into the past. You start digging up you start digging up sins from the past. You start digging up bones from the past. You, you start thinking, well, I don't know that I was forgiven of those sins or not. And all of a sudden, those, those sins committed 15, 20, 25 years ago uh, feel like they were committed just, just yesterday. And you begin to doubt whether or not you were ever forgiven. And you begin to not be able to forgive yourself. And then you begin to walk around on eggshells thinking, I don't know... If I'm saved or not saved, how can I be sure? And some people, even Christian people, are constantly agitated about these kinds of thoughts. These, they, they think, well, for a little while they're saved, but then the next few minutes they're lost. And, and they think, well, I'm, I've sinned here and now I've got to rush home and pray before I get lost again. So it's just a constantly on and off process. I'm saved, I'm lost, I'm saved, I'm lost. And, and if, the, if the Lord will just come, come during one of my saved moments, then by the luck of the draw, then I will eventually be saved eternally. But if he, if he comes in one of my unsaved moments, then, then I'm doomed. One man even reported one time that that he feels safe at night because he does his evening prayers and he feels like he's saved all night, but once he gets out into his activities during the day, he feels like, feels like he gets lost again. So he feels saved about 50% of the time. I don't think that's what God has in store for his people. For just a couple of minutes together this morning, I want us to focus on blessed assurance, it is well with my soul. Blessed assurance, it is well with my soul. And it's all because of what God provides. So three major things that God provides, we'll focus on these, and then three major lessons, and then we'll be done. Looking in the first John, First of all, God provides a continual cleansing. Number one, God provides a continual cleansing. As we look in our Bibles to 1 John 1, verses 7, 8, and 9, God provides a continual cleansing. I think we understand that at our initial obedience, when we first come to Jesus, that the blood of Jesus is applied to our soul. We can read in Romans 6, 3, and 4 that when we're baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, we're baptized into His death. That's huge because that's where His blood was shed. So when we first come to Jesus, the blood, His blood is applied to our soul. But we also recognize this. And that is, as we live for the Lord and as we struggle for sin, His work, His work on the cross and His blood continues to work in our behalf. As we struggle with sin, His blood continues to work in our behalf. Notice verse 7 of 1 John 1. 
where he says, John does, if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there is a continual cleansing as we continue to walk. If, if we keep on walking, the Lord keeps on cleansing us with his blood. This is, this is a perfect fit to what uh, was prophesied in Zechariah 13 and verse 1. In Zechariah 13 verse 1, it is prophesied that in that day there will be a fountain open to the house of David. The house of David would be a reference to the church, to those who have come to Jesus uh, for cleansing. In that day there will be opened uh, to the house of David a fountain. And with that fountain there will be a cleansing from sin and uncleanness. And this is that. This is that. 1 John 1 verse 7 is that fountain prophesied in Zechariah 13 verse 1. And because of this we can read with great deal of joy passages like Romans 8 and verse 1. Romans 8 and verse 1. Where Paul says, there is therefore now. I love the start of that verse. Once you get the start of it, you got the rest of it. There is therefore now. No condemnation, that's right. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Who's in Christ? The very ones that we have just described. Those in Christ are those who have come to Jesus, been baptized into his death, and now they're walking in the light. And so those are the ones that are in Jesus Christ, and there is therefore now no condemnation. Uh, it's just a beautiful thought, beautiful verse. I hope we can read these verses and take a deep breath and let the truthness of this, let the truth sink into our soul. You remember when they brought this adulterous lady to Jesus, John 8, 1 through 11, and Jesus told those accusers, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And then they began to file out of the room. Nobody was left. And Jesus looked to the lady, John 8, verse 10. She said, where, he said to her, where are they? Does no man condemn you? She said, no man, Lord. He said, listen to it. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Those, those words are spoken to us, not from the sense of, of that scene per se directly, but it's still, those words are spoken to us. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus in effect is saying, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Now this system that God has set up, we'll go back to 1 John 1 here, this system that God has set up does not does not mean perfection in our lives. Walking does not mean perfection. Walking in the light does not mean perfection. It does not require perfection. It's, it's not even possible to have perfection. It's almost as if God is anticipating some of our doubts. Look at 1 John 1 verse 8. 
John writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, it, it's even the great apostle of love, John, has sin in his life. Okay. It's not about perfection, but it is about walking in the light. Notice again verse 7. Notice the three words, if, if, it is conditional. Okay. These blessings are conditional, if. And then notice the word walk. Okay. We've got to be consistent. We've got to be consistent with God. A consistent, consistent pattern of life with our Lord is what He's looking for. And if we walk in the light, our lives must conform to the Word of God. It's the Word of God that brings the light, L-I-G-H-T. Remember the warning about Satan in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, where Paul says, Satan works to blind the minds of the unbelieving, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus should dawn upon us. Satan well knows the power of the light of the gospel. If we walk in that light, then his blood continues uh, to cleanse us. Okay. Now, it just so happens, if you notice verse 9, 1 John 1, it just so happens that confessing our sins when we sin, as Christians, when we struggle with sin, confessing those sins is part of walking in the light. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means our heart has to stay in the proper condition. I love the two words, and, and I'll, I'll explain why I love these words, but, but the words penitent, okay, the words penitent believer, penitent believer, that's who we are. The word penitent means our hearts are constantly in a, in a state of softness so that when we see our sin, we are, we are quick to humble ourselves before God and let Him know that we know, confess our sins, and then get back on the right path. Penitent. And so all the while, our faith is growing, our knowledge is growing, and our heart is softened toward uh, the Word of God. If we are a penitent believer, we can go anywhere and do everything for Christ. Think about it. It is the penitent believer who's ready to be baptized for the remission of sins. It is the penitent believer who's ready now to serve the Lord Jesus. It's the penitent believer who's now ready to go out and share the gospel. And we're going to do things wrong, yes. We're going to mess up, yes. We're going to fall flat on our face. Yes, but if we are penitent, if we are penitent believers, then that's okay because we'll just get right back up. Our heart is soft enough to see our mistakes. We'll confess these to God and we'll go at it again. So first of all, the Lord provides a continual cleansing. Now, what we like to do when we see, when we see something good from the Lord is to try to emphasize it. Emphasize. John does this for us. Look, look over to 1 John 5 and verse 16. 1 John 5 and verse 16. John talks about it. And it's kind of weird, but then it's good. Okay. He says, if you see a brother committing a sin, not unto death, you can pray for that brother and God will give him life again. 
But if you see a brother who's committing a sin unto death, then you don't even pray for that one. Okay. What John is doing, he is emphasizing what he has just written here in 1 John uh, 1, verses 7 through 9. The brother who, the brothers whose heart, the brother who, who has a heart that's ready to repent, that has a soft enough heart to humble himself before God, then that brother, when he does sin, it's not a sin unto death. Okay. It's a sin that can be forgiven. Okay. But a brother who has a hard, hard heart, a stubborn heart, who says, I'm just mean enough, I'm going to sin, and I don't care who knows about it, type of heart, then there's no prayer. There, there's no hope for that brother. He's, he's going to sin, and he's proud of his sin, and there's no possibility of forgiveness. But we have, from God, a continual cleansing. The second thing God provides for our blessed assurance, for wellness to our soul, He, provide, he provides the perfect defense. Looking over to 1 John 2, 1 and 2, God provides the perfect defense. As we read 1 John 2, 1 and 2, John says, My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sins, we have an advocate, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow. That's just two verses. But how incredible. Let's first identify who Jesus is here according to these verses. He is our advocate. That is, he pleads our case. He, he pleads for us at the throne of God. He's our attorney. Okay. Uh, he, he wants us. He wants us uh, to be forgiven. He is definitely on our side. It reminds me of Psalm 103. 13 and 14, Psalm 103, 13 and 14, where it talks about God being a father, he's very compassionate, and he knows our frame. He knows how we are made, and this, and he remembers that we are but dust. That's what Jesus is doing there at the throne of God, at the right hand of God. He is constantly bringing up the fact that we are but dust. And the Godhead all know how we are made. And sometimes we struggle with sin. And the Lord is there pleading our case. You see, we read in Hebrews 4, 15, He's already been here. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. But because of that, we can come with boldness to the throne of grace. The Lord is there and he is pleading our case. He's our advocate. But also he's our propitiation. Now, all this word means is that Jesus paid the price to appease the wrath of God. The wrath of God. I'll be turning just for a second in your Bible to Romans uh, chapter 5. Some people don't really even believe in the wrath of God. But I don't know what really to say to that because you read it so clearly. But if you look in Romans 5, verse 9, 
Notice what Paul said about the person who has been saved. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood. Nice. We've been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. But Jesus paid the price with his life and his blood so that we do not have to be part of the wrath of God. Look at Romans chapter 2 there, verse 5. He says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourselves wrath on the day of wrath. That's what an unfaithful person is doing. They're storing up for themselves wrath on the day of wrath. Now there's a great day coming, the day of judgment. It can be a day of salvation or it can be a day of wrath. That's really up to us. But think about it. Jesus, Jesus paid the price so that we do not have to be part of a day of wrath. Okay. Jesus is for us. He is our, he is our propitiation. He's our, he's our covering for sin, you might say. Now, what I like to do in my little Bible studies is to find phrases that really stick out to me. This one did years ago, Psalm 56 and verse 9. Psalm 56 and verse 9. I really wasn't studying salvation per se, per se but I was studying what can I say to some very grieving hearts. And here at Midway, we have had some hearts that have had to really grieve over the years. This is one of the verses that I have tried to emphasize. Psalm 56 and verse 9 is a little statement from David, but here's what he said. He said, this I know, God is for me. This I know... God is for me. That's what John is saying here in 1 John 2. The Lord is our advocate. The Lord is our propitiation. He is our payment for sin. He is, he is for us. When we say the wrath of God, we are not saying that God is a, is a gotcha God. He is not a gotcha God. What? You know, there are, there are people who are just gotcha people. They're, they're just waiting around for, for you to make just one little mistake and then, boom, they're going to jump on that mistake. They're, they've got you. They've got you. You know, a lot of people live their lives that way. By the way, that's not leadership at all. That's just, that's just yuckiness. That's just, that's just sin, what that is. Okay. But there's a lot of people that live to get somebody else caught. That's not our God. Our God is a God of love. God is for us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He wants us in heaven. He has, he has proven that by the blood of His Son. Why then do we need a defense? Okay. It's not because He's a gotcha God. It's because He's so holy. As we were singing just a little bit ago, holy, 
holy, holy. We can't wrap our arms around the holiness of God. We just can't do it. But we know enough about it to know that the least sin is tremendously offensive to God. That's why we need Jesus. We need his blood. We need him at the right hand of God. And thank the Lord we have him, right? Thank the Lord. All this is based on the Lord Jesus. Notice how John writes there in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's not me. It's not you. It's not what you may or may not do. It's not your righteousness. It's the Lord's righteousness. That's what makes this possible. That's where we get our assurance. Notice a little statement here in 1 John chapter 3. As he discusses uh, sin, you remember 1 John 3 verse 4, that sin is a transgression of the law. But notice verse 5. Verse 5. John says, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus Christ the righteous. In him is no sin. It is based on that that we're even able to talk about being forgiven by our God. Blessed assurance indeed. It is well with our soul. And then this final thought. If you look at 1 John 3, 19, God gives us not only a continual cleansing, He gives us the perfect defense, but He also gives us constant reassurance Notice what he says in 1 John 3 and 19. He says, by this, that, by this we know, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. And he reassures our hearts. I love to think about blessed assurance, but I love to think even more about reassurance. We all need to be reassured, don't we? This is what the Lord through His Word and through His love does for us. He reassures us. He reassures us. He says, John's saying, by all this that I'm talking about, that Jesus laid down His life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for others. This is giving us the knowledge through the truth that God is reassuring us. We do need reassuring. We do start thinking about our past. We do let the devil sneak into our hearts and our thoughts and start creating anxiety, frustration. Sometimes we do listen to the media. Sometimes we do listen to our friends. Sometimes we do see the failures of others. And sometimes that causes doubts to creep into our hearts. But God is here. He reassures us. We all need this. My thoughts run to Psalm 95, verse uh, 6 and 7, where it says that we are, the, we are the sheep of His pasture and the, we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. That's how it says. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. The sheep with a good shepherd, the sheep will keep coming back to the very hand of the the shepherd, 
Not because, just because he has food, but because oftentimes he'll just rub their, their, their heads. He'll just pet them. You'll notice that with your pets. We notice this with our children, don't we? It's the tendency of children to play at your feet. To play at your feet. It's been my experience. They've got the whole house. They've got the whole yard. Where are they going to choose to play? Right here. Right here. I, even, I've, I remember telling our girls, you know, you don't have to be right here. They go get their toys from 20 yards away and bring them right here. Right here. It's all about this reassurance that we all need. God reassures us through the death of Jesus and through giving us His love and His Word. Now, a couple of reminders and we'll be done. Let us never forget the power of God's Word. Did you hear John in 1 John 2 verse 1? My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. If we want assurance in our lives, we will continue to be in this Word. Notice 1 John 5 and verse 13. Brethren, I write this unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know it. Our assurance with God is not based on how we feel. It's not based on what somebody else says. Okay. It's not really based on what we think. It's based on what God says about us and about our situation in His Word. Let's, let's never forget the power of God's Word. Let's never forget the opportunity to have our conscience clean. We don't have to, we don't have to leave here today in doubt. All of this that God has done for us is, is for our good. He wants us to be forgiven. And He doesn't want us to live with any sort of doubt. Do you think God would, would go to the, the work that He's gone? Call it trouble. you think God would have gone to the trouble He has gone through? He has suffered in our behalf. He has worked His providence in marvelous ways in order for us just to be lost. He, he doesn't want that. And then let us be reminded that really this is ultimately not about us. It's not about how I feel. It, it's, it's about what I can do for somebody else. Again, did you notice in 1 John 2 what John says? Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, but what? But not for ours only, but for all of those out in the world. Now, God has blessed us not to sit around and feel assured. He has blessed us to help other people to come to this assurance as well. Can you imagine this? You go to somebody and you say, you really, you know, ought to look at the Bible with me and Let's, let's really think about serving Christ and giving Him your life. And suppose the person comes back to you and says, well, are you sure about that? And you say to them, well, not really. I'm not really sure. I'm not, I'm not, sure. I'm, I'm not really sure if I'm saved or not. I'm not really sure if I'm going to heaven or not. But you still ought to come and, 
and, and learn about Christ with me and, and serve Christ with me, that person will walk away from you and he ought to real fast. Okay. This lack of assurance is killing the church. Okay. If we're not sure of our salvation, then how can we possibly be of any help to anybody else? We cannot walk around with anxiety and frustration. We must take God at His word, trust in Him, and then help others come to know Him as well. Blessed assurance, it is well with our souls. It can be. Will you come this morning, right now, as we stand together, as we sing?